0: Hey everybody, welcome back to a new edition of Bitch Breathe. I am your host, Ricardia. Those of you who have been listening for a while know that I have started to work with clients who are going through breakups or who have issues around toxic breakups. And more recently, I've also begun to work with people who are recently starting to date again. So people who have come from a breakup or maybe a more difficult breakup and are looking to find ways to break patterns so that their new dating life looks a whole lot different (laughs) from the old one. And even though it's great to talk to people about these issues, it's been a little bit sobering to speak about them in certain terms. So that is why I chose today's topic, which is Am I too broken to date? And I realize it's slightly dramatic the way I formulated it. But here's why. So I mentioned that it feels a little sobering to talk to people sometimes. And why am I saying that? Because what I'm noticing is that there's so much cognitive analysis going on. We've come to a point where we've intellectualized everything around emotions and trauma and relationships so much that we kind of don't know any other way to go into some sort of, well, dialogue with these topics. And especially for me, I live in Berlin, in Germany, I've noticed that I live in a country that has sort of fetishized analysis and logic, and knows very, very little about sensuality. I mean sensuality, or eros, if you will, in the very widest sense of the word. I mean, yes, sensuality in terms of the body and sexuality, but I also mean the actual senses. How we deal with situations, with people, with challenges from a sensical, from a sensual point of view or a touch or whatever that sense is that we're using. And I noticed in working with my clients that by now, like many people I'm following on Instagram as well, I think we all could probably write dissertations on narcissistic disturbances in a personality or narcissistic personalities. I think even if we don't have the psychology degrees, we probably could talk about this subject at nauseum. And there's a lot of jargon around narcissism relationships and all these topics. But the question with this is, have we come to the point where we are very eloquent about stating the problem? about trying to fix it, but also about covering up how we feel about it, how a person made us feel about something. And we've lost the ability to feel our way through the solution. Not think, not mindset our way through everything, but to get a visceral sense of where am I in this exchange right now? Where am I in this breakup? How does it feel? Not in, oh, all the feels, but in what is physically happening to me as I engage. And this will become very important as we go on. So keep that in mind. What is happening physically to me, to my body, to my senses as I'm experiencing a certain situation? So the question for today's episode was, are you, am I, too broken to date? So first of all, just to give this a little comic relief, because all of these things are usually also very funny to me, (laughs) I realize that comes with time and with distance. But are you too broken to date? Have you seen who is in relationships out there? I mean, I'm lucky enough to know some really great couples. They're polyamorous, they have other models, but whatever it is, I know some really, actually quite a few, really good couples. But that is by far not everybody. And so does it mean that if you're in a relationship that you must be whole or that you've done all your homework or that if you in some way haven't done that homework when you look at a relationship, that that relationship is doomed and destined to fail? Really? I'm going to let you answer that for yourself because I feel like I'm already strongly suggesting the answer, (laughs) so you come up with your own. But that's just something I wanted to put out there. Just because people are in relationships, whether they're from the outside, really healthy relationships, or from the outside, inside, wherever, really toxic, I don't think that that alone determines whether or not somebody is too broken to even go about obtaining that relationship, meaning dating. So before we answer today's question, our little riddle that we have here, I want to get rid of some really toxic notions that I think a lot of us share about being single and dating. So first of all, you don't have to date. There's nothing wrong with people being single. This goes for 50-year-olds as much as it goes for 25-year-olds. And as someone who hasn't passed 50 yet but who's definitely passed 25, (laughs) 25, Let me tell you, it is a little different to be single in your 20s, in your 30s, in your 40s from being, well, much older or much younger, right? All these decades and years and experiences make being single and make being in a relationship a very different kind of adventure. But I want to send ahead that we don't have to date just because we're now shoving 60 and we really should be locking this thing in Or because we're 25, we're having a quarter-life crisis, and probably the only thing that's going to help is a partner. We don't have to do this. There is no mandate to date. And another thing I want to put ahead, because this is something, a lesson that came to me very gradually, but nobody can protect you from life and the things that life entails. And nobody should, right? Nobody can protect us from aging, Nobody can protect us from finding our purpose or losing it again. No one can really protect us from health issues. But that doesn't have to mean that we have to do everything alone. Because sometimes I feel like there's this dichotomy now where it's like, I'm either in a relationship and then somebody else is buying me the flowers, or I'm alone and then that's it. Alone seems to always equate lonely. It can, definitely. Could probably write a whole book about that particular sentiment. But you see... That's not true, right? It just means that you place your connections, not all and solely on the potential or an actual relationship. You place it on friends, on families. You don't have to do aging, health, divorces, new career moves and everything. You don't have to do these things alone just because you're not in a relationship. And you don't have to be lonely managing these things because you're not in a relationship. If I have the choice to talk a lot of the things that are happening to me as a woman, a female-identified body, then my choice would be to talk to other women about that. Does that mean I have to date all these women now? Of course not. It means that I go into connection with them, even if I have a partner, but especially when I don't. And to be honest, the last really long relationship I had, it dawned on me later by the kind of commentary that he would have around disease and sickness and other people's diagnoses, that this guy would have dropped me first chance he got if I had, God forbid, developed a really serious fatal disease. He would have not been able to handle it. So just because other people have relationships doesn't mean they're safer than you are. In fact, there is even statistics out there that show that partners often leave another partner when they're seriously ill. But I'm just saying that you're not necessarily safer because you're in a relationship. That said, it's also perfectly fine to say you hate being single. Dude, I've had phases where I was like, what in the actual fuck does a girl have to do around here to match up with a person? And I don't even mean online dating. (laughs) Don't get me started on that one. I got a whole routine on it. But the thing is, it's totally fine to also not want to be single. It's really hard. And let's face it, when it comes to paying rent and shit like that, it's a really expensive lifestyle, as my mother likes to point out to me. So it's totally fine to say, you know what, I'm lonely. I'm feeling it. It's also been a while since I've been physically satisfied. I'm going to need to get myself out there. And that is where we come in today. Actually, one more thing. Other people's advice in small doses is really good. But taking on their fears around dating and relationships and getting it all right not so much. I just want to say that. So please feel free to totally disregard everything that I'm about to share with you because I'm not you and only you know how to be authentic and act with integrity towards yourself. First of all, do you think you truly are less happy than your coupled friends, for example? And if yes, are they truly happier merely due to being in a couple? Or are they doing other things right? You can tell by the suggestive quality of this question that I'm probably guessing it's the second, right? So, what is it that they're doing that is leading them to be more content, more fulfilled? Because there's a good chance it's not only because they're in a relationship, but because there are other qualities about them that have allowed them to do that or other experiences. And maybe observe those a little in them. See what it is. It could be that they're very fulfilled in their hobbies or they have a great job. Maybe some of them are really happy mothers and fathers and are happy to do, in quotes, just that. But look at their whole 360 degree lives to see what is it they're doing that makes you feel they're happier. And chances are, it doesn't all have to do with the fact that they're coupled. the next question I'd like to ask is, Do you think you have to self-love your way into perfection before you start dating? A lot of the zeitgeist right now is that if you just love yourself enough, and there's a whole nother episode about this, by the way, that I did a couple of months ago. I think it's the truth about self-help. I think that's where I talk about it. Feel free to hop onto that episode when you're done here. And I've noticed that we think we have to do all this homework before we can be in a perfect relationship, before we can be in a healthy relationship. But there's a really lovely saying in German, and I'll say it in German first, it goes, die Wahrheit beginnt zu zweit. The truth begins when two people come together. And I think there is so much value in understanding that, that yes, we can do a lot of work ourselves, and possibly we should. And there's a lot of information out there and gurus and coaches that can support us with that. But let me really say this, when it comes to asking ourselves, are we too broken to date, then being perfection itself at the self-love thing isn't going to answer that sufficiently. Because no, you don't have to have managed every little dysfunction or trauma about you to deserve a relationship, to have a relationship, and to get a fair chance on working on the relationship you have. I thought that was terribly good news once I realized that, so I thought you got to share that with the listeners. Another thing that I've been thinking about is, do you think you have to get rid of a certain trait before you can start dating? And let me do a follow-up question on that one. Do all people with that trait not have partners? Are they all single because they have this trait? Let's see what could be a trait. I used to have this habit. This is a while ago now where I would be at a party. I would have different conversations. Then I would go home and go ahead and rewind all those conversations to see where I had said something really dumb. That was a real habit and I obsessed about it over quite some time there. So with that trait of second-guessing myself all the time, would that be something where you're like, yeah, you really shouldn't have a partner right now because clearly your confidence sucks? No. You reflect on it. You get the support that you want through podcasts, maybe through gurus, coaches, whatever. And then also through your partner who might show up because maybe they're not here to last forever. Maybe they're here to help you with that or you see it in them and so you help them with that. Die Wahrheit beginnt zu zweit. The truth begins when we step into communion with a second person. I ran into this misunderstanding several times when I was single, during several single periods. And that was that I thought, if I just find that right partner, that healthy partner, that is going to solve all my problems. In fact, even as a teenager, I remember thinking, I have to secure a good, healthy relationship first, then I can worry about my career. This is probably a sign of the times as well, because I know that we're raising our daughters differently these days. But that was definitely something that came up for me, who's now in her 40s. And I find that that is a little much emphasis on the partnerships. I am not of the conviction that we should all do everything by ourselves. Really not. I think that's a way to go for a while. But then you kind of want to bounce back from that and find a way that, you find solutions to your problems in life, but that you also maybe one day will have a partner who helps you with those, and that is also fine. But if you've noticed that you are one of those guys or gals who think that it's, it's, if I just find this partner, everything else will fall into place, then maybe that is a little much. And maybe it is a good idea to find things that you love to do and start from there. And not that this should be your intention, But there's a very good chance that when you do those things, you'll probably meet somebody who enjoys the same activity. And hey, could be a partner, could be a new friend. But definitely a fun way to put less emphasis on a relationship and a little bit more on what it is you actually want to do with your life. And here comes one of the key points I would like to make today. I went to the spa the other day with two really good friends of mine. And my one friend, she's been in a long, long long-term relationship. And my other friend is in a semi-long relationship, but she has several children with this man. And the first one, here in Germany, you, you can kind of just go ahead and <laughs> go all naked everywhere in these spas. So she was applying oil all up and down herself. And I'm watching her thinking, Jesus, this looks kind of <laughs> nice what she's doing, right? And I noticed it because other people were watching her passing by. And she was totally unaware Here is this goddess. She's got this incredible blonde mane of hair on her head, and she's putting all this oil on her, and she has no idea how that feels to other people. But I saw it right away, and I commented on it. I said, I realize you're totally not aware, right, but you're stealing the show right now. Everyone's looking over here. And then my other friend chimes in and says, you know, I also have no sense anymore of whether somebody's checking me out or if somebody thinks I'm attractive. And I thought, oh, wow, we're all women in our 40s. And we take good care of ourselves. And yet here we are, we have no sense of body of embodiment, because either we've been married for really long, I struggle with it in a different way, and then there's the other friend who's in a really long relationship and a mother of three. And all of us have this way of relating to our bodies, but some of us see ourselves more than others. We understand that we have an effect on others that is very, very sensual. And when we don't, which, again, in this country where I live is a very, very strong trend then we lose a sense of ourselves. We can intellectualize about all our dysfunctions. We can think endlessly about whether or not we're going to have sex after the fifth date, the first date. We can think our way through all these things. But use your body. This is a holy trinity. This is what the goddesses want us to do. Incorporate mind, which you do anyway, body and soul. And to really understand that if we don't embody this body that we have, if we don't take up residence in here and use it because that is truly what it's doing for us. It wants us to use. Every little cell of your body is here for you. So how can we do that? What are some of the ways that we can engage with our body to find our way back to this sensuality and as a result stop thinking our way through all our dysfunctions and our trauma and how fucked up our relationships were and are, and to feel more into our situations so that those don't repeat themselves. So the things that you can do, really, it's anything that comes naturally to you, but that doesn't have to do with two things. It shouldn't tempt you into a performance of any sort. It shouldn't be that it's about doing this really perfectly or being some kind of person that maybe you're not necessarily. And the second thing this physical activity shouldn't do is make you want to yield results in some way. This is not about tangible results. This is not about competition, even a competition with yourself. So, If you're somebody who can run marathons or whatever without the whole performance and results-driven part, do that. But maybe you're more like me and you love dancing, then it would be dancing or yoga or Pilates or swimming, whatever it is. And there's a third thing, actually, I'd like to introduce that maybe we shouldn't worry about when we get back into our bodies, and that is aesthetics and beauty. Because I know a lot of us have issues with our bodies, whether we find them too thin, too fat too old, too many birthing children and all kinds of marks that that has left, whatever it is, try to do something that doesn't make you become self-conscious about aesthetics of your body, right? So no performance, no results, and no beauty fetishism, if you will. Anything that will then allow you to step back into contact, actually, I want to make it even better to step into intimate contact with your body, that is what you do. And I mean all of the ways that you can use your body, whichever they are, they count, as long as they don't put you under pressure in any way. Listen, chances are, if you've been through a few hiccups in life and you're breathing, you've taken in a lot of information, a lot of insights, and that's great. But none of those is relevant Even that one key sentence from that amazing guru, if you don't use your body to implement the new consciousness, all this learning that you do via the mind, it won't anchor inside your system. It's not sustainable. You're just going to keep doing what you've been doing. And worse, you're going to keep thinking what you've been thinking, which is like the worst hell that I can personally think of. Because if we can't control our thoughts, our minds are probably the most hostile environment we could be hanging out in. So that is what I want to say to that. And very, very lastly, there's no perfect time for dating. It's just like pregnancy, really. If it takes courage, it's going to take a conscious effort. So just dive in there. And if you end up going home alone, crying over the ex, then that would probably be my cue that it could be you're not ready yet. That is one of the cues that maybe it's not time to do that yet. But let's say that is not what happens. Let's say you go on a date or two and it goes really, really well. That is what I want to leave you with. The what ifs can go in both directions. What if it goes bad, but what if it goes really, really well? In the meantime, if you need to figure out if you're ready for just dealing with dating, then why not drop me a line and let's talk about it. My email is ricardia at thebreakupcall.com. If you want a little bit more information about me and the kind of work I do with my clients, you can go to thebreakupcall.com. And why not see if we can't paint a braver and brighter picture of what your dating or breakup could look like. Until then, sending love.